This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. The concerns of playing football and the loss of brain function later in life has been well documented in the recent past. And the NFL is trying to take steps to help with the athletes who are suffering later in life. But that's just a, a few select athletes that even get a chance to play professional football. So what about the athletes that play high school football and basically their careers end there or maybe go on to play a little bit of college football? What happens to them? Is their brain activity affected by all of the contact? A new report in the Journal of the American Medical Association looks at that issue. Dylan Small is a statistics professor here at the Wharton School. Raiden Hasegawa is a Ph.D. student here at Wharton. And Samir Dishpande is a Ph.D. candidate here at Wharton as well. They are all involved in the research that we are going to be speaking about. Great to have you all here. Thanks for coming in. Great to be here. Thanks, Sam. I guess the idea here we start out is uh, was to try and find out the impact uh, taking data from the 1950s in the state of Wisconsin as to what the impact was of those individuals playing football back in that day were having 30, 40, 50 years later on in life, correct? Yep. Who would like to take that? Yeah, so, um, you know, we used the uh, Wisconsin Longitudinal Study, which followed high school students um, in Wisconsin from the 1950s. Um, and why this was an interesting data set for us was that people are interested in later life cognition um, when it comes to playing football. And so we've got to go back far enough in time to find high school football players. Um, so what we did was we compared high school football players um, to non-high school football players Mm -hmm. um, and looked at uh, various cognitive outcomes uh, down the line. So I think in 2011 was the last uh, date that we measured. And were these these specifically, uh, I mentioned at the top, were these specifically individuals who played high school football and did not go on to play college, or was there a mix uh, in there as well? There was a mix. So um, the data set... Um, all we knew was whether or not they played high school football. We used right. yearbook data, actually, um, to determine whether or not they played high school football. Um, and so one of the sort of, I guess, novel designs of the experiment was that um, we thought possibly just playing a sport has an effect sure, on, yeah. on your cognition in the long run. So what we did was we compared these high school football players to people who played uh, a non-contact sport, such as baseball. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we also compared them to... Um, people who didn't, high school students who didn't play any sport at all. So the hope was that we could sort of capture maybe some unobserved differences between uh, people who played sports and people who didn't play sports. And if we saw sort of a similar effect, um, then that would sort of build the evidence um, for or against there being some sort of effect. And so the, 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 the outcome of this was that in terms of the data you were able to collect, there wasn't a whole lot of data showing that there was a significant increase in cognitive impairment, mental health issues, maybe uh, just societal issues, alcoholism, drug use, whatever it might be, by a lot of these people, correct? Right, exactly. And, you know, what we did, you know, Ryden mentioned that we compared the outcomes of football players to the people who didn't play football, but also rolled into that comparison was that we were really careful to control for a lot of confounding. So we said, you know, maybe there were some differences back before they started playing football or right before they graduated from high school that could have predisposed them or might have some impact later on. So there might be another sort of causal mechanism that not necessarily through football. So we were pretty careful to try to control for a lot of these confounders. 
I think the big one was adolescent IQ, how they ranked in high school, right. how many years of education they wanted to go into afterwards, whether they served in the military or planned to serve in the military. So we had a whole list of student, these variables. Student activities. Yeah. Well, one of the, the great things about I mean, the value of using this, this data from Wisconsin was that they, they had done a very thorough survey of the students' activities and, and what they were like as, as a high schooler so that we could match football players who were similar to, to non-football players when they were in high school. And, and I'm guessing in terms of, of trying to do this type of, uh, of research, the fact that Wisconsin had this survey and had it was more, uh, you know, not the norm if you're That's going right. back to the 1950s. That's right. That's right. So, so the, could, can you, though, take this data and can you kind of extrapolate it out as to what could be the potential in other parts of the country thinking along the same parameters of, you know, these athletes were football players, some athletes were not? Yeah, I think you can, but you need to take it with a grain of salt. Okay. Right. So football changed dramatically in the mid-60s. Well, yeah. uh, yes, I, I guess one question is just kind of, you know, geographically, mm -hmm. we, you know— um, because there could be differences in the Wisconsin population right. versus not, but but it's probably reasonable that that football wasn't that different um, in, in different high, right. high yeah. schools. But, but exactly. Yeah, then, then so, more. Right. So if, if you can find a population and said that, you know, the way they played football is similar to the way they played it in Wisconsin in the mid-50s, and maybe the geographic differences aren't too big or the population of Wisconsin students is similar to this other state, right. then I would feel safe making that extrapolation. But if you said, you know, what about people who played in California in the 70s? And so I'd sort of pump the brakes a little bit because the game changed. Yeah. It's a different population. I mean, now people are bigger, stronger, faster. The game's totally different. So I wouldn't necessarily extrapolated all the way. So then how do you take this data and, and kind of start to bring it forward, which I think is probably the biggest question that a lot of people have, because it is one of the big questions surrounding the sport today is because the game is, is the, the athletes playing it are bigger and stronger and faster and hit harder. Uh, and the impact with a lot of professional athletes in, in football, shouldn't say a lot, but several cases where these athletes have had CTE and it has cost them their life. Now, how can you take this data and start to potentially move it forward? I think not necessarily the data, but I think the method and the sort of the design is what, what can be carried forward. Okay. Because what made this study pretty special was we actually had all of this information about what did people do before or sort of concurrent with the time they started playing you know, high school football. Right. And so we were able to follow them throughout their life. So if you take the same sort of study design and then you found, you know, there was a longitudinal study of people maybe in the 70s or in the 80s or the 90s. Well, you can sort of try to do the same type of analysis and carry that forward. And you'll get something about, you know, you'll get some information about how, you know, the safety or, you know, risks of football have changed over time. Which is what we're currently trying to do. We're now, we're, we're now looking into um, a, a cohort of people who played in the, yeah, in the mid 90s. Or mid, -90s, mid 90s. Mid 90s. Right. So, what's been the reaction in, in terms of, of once this first study has come out? What has been the reaction from, I would think, a, a wide range of people, medical community, the sports field? What has been the reaction to this data and the fact that, at least back in the 50s with this subset, there wasn't a significant issue with cognitive impairment? Yeah, I mean, 
I guess one one sort of thing that might be directly relevant is that you know people who played football in the mid seventies, you know, many of them are now in their late uh, mid fifties. They're now maybe in their late seventies. Right. So this has some useful information for them um, if they were worried to the extent that maybe I'm going, maybe I have something wrong with me, or you know, what is my mental health or cognitive health, and could it be related to the football I played? You know, that there's some information there for them. Yeah, I mean, one of the concerns I think is that that. That has been raised um, by um, mental health professionals is that some people who um, played football maybe they they they're um, you know experiencing depression for something something you know that's difficult in their life then they're they're thinking that they have CTE and they're yeah. become they they're thinking it's a, a sort of irreversible thing whereas it might it might just be a, a, a depression which which is which is you know very um, Treatable, which is ends up being a, a, a tough piece, I think, to, to really look at is the fact, as you mentioned, Samir, there are so many other kind of factors that could be involved, not even including what happened on the football field to, to this individual family background, you know, what, what they happen in their life, the education, the IQ. There's so many pieces to it. You know, there there's there's data that can be really brought forward. And obviously, as you mentioned, the, the method about what you're you're bringing forward here is important. It, it's not the be all end all, but at least it's a start to kind of head down the path. Yeah. And, and I think that's been the reaction from, you know, so I will say there are people who looked at this study and said football is totally safe. This is a vindication of everything we knew sure. about football. Yeah. yeah. And I would, you know, I, I'm, I'm certainly not saying that. Um and I, I don't think that's a reasonable conclusion from this study. But there are people who do recognize that, you know, this is a first step. We have a whole lot of research to do, um, you know, and, and this is maybe the heartbreaking part is that, you know, people are concerned. There might be risks. But, you know, the research is just getting started. Yeah. Uh, right. Yeah. The, the challenge of this type of question is you can't really do a randomized control t- trial. You can't say sure, you're going to yeah. play football. You're not going to play football. Yeah. And flip a coin. Yeah. Um, and so so the, the hope with this study was that we did a, a good job of, of comparing people who were similar on uh, in, in other regards, like uh, Samir had mentioned earlier, IQ, um, sort of educational plans. And, and the hope was that we could... Um, even though we didn't have a randomized control trial, we're just observing these people who maybe made decisions to play football for, for reasons that would affect their cognition later in life, right. um, that we could maybe key in on, on at least a better estimate of, of a difference, an well, average difference. Well, D- Dylan, you mentioned about that you're trying to do this now with athletes that played in the 1990s. How much available data is there from that group of people in comparison to having the Wisconsin study, which obviously it really did kind of encompass a lot of different data points to kind of get an idea about football players back in the 1950s. Right. I mean, yeah. So the, the, the um, study we're looking into the, the ad health data, it, it is pretty rich in terms of, of collecting a lot of information about the people. I mean, the, the one caution is we're, we're, we're you know, we can't. They're, they're only what? What now? Now they're they're, they're in, people in their their late thirties or something. So yeah, you know the, the there may not have been time for um, the the effects of football to to um, to play out. And, that, and that's and I think that's a big challenge right now is that you know the game is changing, but at, at the same time it, it takes a long time to see the the long term effects. So that's why we think this study even though it's limited, is, is important in the sense that it's, it's the only data we really can look at that, 
that that shows is really long term effects. I, I would I would make the other the point here that the Wisconsin data that we were using wasn't originally collected to to study football players. Right. Um, the the study was run out of I think UW Madison, and they were really interested in sort of economic perspective, socioeconomic factors. And it happened that I think Dylan, you had worked with this data set before, and you noticed, hey, they've recorded whether they played football. Yeah. And they did a whole battery of cognitive and mental health assessments later in life. So maybe we can use this data set. In the same way, we were trying to, we're, we're going to start looking at a data set right. um, that was sort of collected of adolescents in, in high school and middle school in the mid 90s. And that was really to study how do adolescents' health change as they grow into adulthood. Well, we also have indicators of whether they played football, and we know some of these other health indicators that have been measured. And so we said, well, we can leverage this information. So, you know, n there there hasn't been a longitudinal study, to our knowledge, that's dedicated to football, but there are other longitudinal studies that we could leverage. But that being said, though, it, it would seem to me that it, the potential of taking this type of idea and bringing it forward to today would be you do have the potential of being able to get pretty good data now because of how we are such a data-driven society in general Absolutely. it makes it a little bit easier to be able to take that formula mm -hmm. and bring it forward to 2011 2015 whatever year you you see as the potential starting point obviously being kind of playing off of what you said dylan it does have to be a little bit of a retrospective look because you don't see a lot of these issues playing out until you're 35 40 45 50 years of age yeah. right right and and i i think um one one of the big limitations that the we had and the hopefully future data collection could address is is that um, we just had a measure of whether they played football and we don't didn't have a measure of the the position they played or sure history and right. the, so i think that that's one of the big questions are there you know you know particular positions that that might uh, or you know um, particular experience con concussion histories that might carry uh, particularly high risks. But the potential growth also uh, in doing this, and you guys uh, touched on football, but there are similar concerns with a lot of other sports right. out there. Mm -hmm. Soccer right now, where the U.S. Soccer Federation changed the rules in terms of kids not being able to head the ball until they're at least 12 years of age. There are a variety of sort. Hockey, obviously, is another one. Uh, high school wrestling is another one where there are concerns of injury more so now than there, than there have ever been before. That's right. And um, sort of one of the points we wanted to make with um, this paper was that um, whether or not this uh, study sort of can be extrapolated to football players today, um, you can say something about um, people who play high school sports or any sports that had a similar sort of level of risk to, right. for, for head injury as those who played high school football in the 50s, which is probably a much broader category of, of, of sort of adolescent um, athletes. But there is a, a piece to it, and I saw it in the, uh, the write-ups on, uh, on the research, that you do kind of extrapolate out there are potential benefits of playing sports, not necessarily football, but of playing sports in terms of camaraderie, leadership, te you know, teamwork, that type of thing, that, that are benefits that I think a lot of people have considered that are there to begin with. It's just weighing the balance between those and, and the potential health issues that are out there. Yeah, absolutely. And I think in the cohort that we studied, in fact, the, we found that the people who played high school sports also reported being somewhat more act physically active in you know their mid 30s and you know that might have some protective effect yeah I mean, you... there's a lot of research showing that the physical activity is is, is is very good for later life health 
We are joined here in studio by Dylan Small, who is a statistics professor here at the Wharton School. Uh, Samir Deshpande, who is a Ph.D. candidate, Raiden Hasegawa, Ph.D. student here at Wharton. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment via Twitter at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. We're talking about their work on the, uh, this study regarding uh, football players from back in the 1950s, athletes back in the 1950s, and whether or not there was a correlation to uh, playing sports, playing football, and significant cognitive issues or mental health issues going forward. Uh, I guess looking back at the data, and obviously, as you kind of alluded to, Samir, to be able to really kind of get a, a grasp on it now, you needed to look back at the 1950s, maybe the 1960s, because those people have pretty much lived a majority of their life and you can kind of correlate what issues that, that they had, whether they be mental, physical, whatever, to be able to kind of get an understanding of this. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, when we started the study, we said, well, you know, and th this came up, like, how much can we extrapolate this? And you know, we, we thought amongst ourselves, well, look, if we find something that there's a significant harm, then you might rightly argue that football now is maybe more dangerous than it was before. And then this is, you know, a cause for concern. Now, you know, we didn't find we didn't find anything. We didn't find a significant harm. We didn't find that you know, football players were more depressed or, you know, more impaired than their non-football playing counterparts. Well, that's still useful information yeah. um, to the to the cohort. And if you can roll this back to younger and younger cohorts, we can start to get a sense of either the life history of any potential effects of playing football yeah. and just a better sense of, you know, people in the 1960s were concerned about, you know, skull fractures sure. and, you know, people breaking their necks. So they said, wear these hard shell helmets. And then that led to people <laughs> saying that, well, now I can, you know, run into people with my head and... Yeah, there's a lot of knock-on effects. <laughs> That's a factor. I, I'm thinking about going back. The difference in, in just in the helmet itself yeah, back yeah. in the 50s, which probably still was the old leather helmet, or maybe they were making the transition mm -hmm. in, into the different helmet, to what we have in the 60s, 70s, 80s, which is more the hard shell, to what we have now, which obviously there's so much more science mm -hmm. going into what the helmet is. Part of it, I would also think, also could potentially play out, and, and, and again, this I don't know if you can extrapolate it to this point, is... Just the, the, the skill, the teaching of the game of football that coaches and people were giving back then and whether or not there was an impact from that as well. I'm, you know, I'm not an expert on, on football technique, but I'm sure that coaching in terms of like how to hit and how to tackle has changed over the past several decades. And that I'm sure has an effect on, on the type of head injuries that, that people are seeing in, in football at all levels. Samir? Yeah, I mean, football is an evolving sport, right? And what is it? The last like five years, we've gotten so much more information about, you know, the potential risks of, you know, head injuries and whatnot. And, you know, you see people at all levels saying, you know, should children be playing tackle football? And, you know, th this is what sort of motivates the study is that, well, we've got to start somewhere. So let's start with the data that we have. And we acknowledge the limitations. And right. we take that and move on to the next the study and start to build up the space of research and knowledge to, to try to get a better understanding of what's really going on. But is it, Dylan, is it a basically a process now of this data came from the 1950s and then you can move to the 1960s and the 1970s, almost taking a decades approach as to how these how these data points have kind of developed over the course of time. Yeah, that that's 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 the that's the that's, intention. That's, that's our intention. Yeah. And then and just to kind of follow up on on Ryan's point, I mean, 
you know, it's somewhat speculative, but, you know, for example, if, if soccer is, if soccer today is kind of involves less hot head trauma than football in the 1950s, and our, our study might be saying something about sure. um, soccer today. Well, and that ends up being a big question, and a lot of people have talked about the fact that uh, youth football, the numbers of, of kids playing youth football has dwindled down mm-hmm. quite a bit, especially in the last few years, and more kids are playing soccer, more kids are, are deciding to play a variety of other sports. This does, and it's probably way too early to be able to tell this, is that this does, though, potentially have the impact to really kind of change the course of what we think about football mm-hmm. in the next 30 to 40 years. I mean, obviously, the 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 different innovations that are out there are one thing, but the idea, the mindset of the data behind it, that's something totally different. Absolutely. I mean, you know, and you mentioned, you, you mentioned this earlier that, you know, you'll hear people who defend football, and I'm not saying you shouldn't or anything. I think it's, right. a, I think it's a good sport. I never played, but, you know, people will say that it has a lot of benefits that you might say, the camaraderie, teamwork, leadership, fitness, but it also has the risks, right? And we're trying to get a better understanding of these risks. And, you know, a, a parent whose kid wants to play football has to balance these risks and yeah. in a way that only they can. So, you know, we're, 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 it's unfortunate that we have to fall in somewhere in the middle that, you know, football is risky. We're not saying that it isn't. But on the spectrum of risks, you know, if I had to hazard a guess, I'd say it's you know, your risk for long-term effects, maybe it's not as obvious and clear as, say, smoking, right? You, sure. You, you yeah. pick up a pack of cigarettes, you start smoking, you continue smoking, you'll probably develop something down the line, you know, lung cancer or anything else. With football, I don't know if I'd say it's, you know, as dangerous as smoking. And I know, Dylan, you might have right. a better grasp. But and I think we really also want to get at is kind of what's the, the dose of exposure mm-hmm. that, that does it, you know, um, is it? You know, maybe you know playing a certain amount of recreational football is is um, not putting you at much risk, but playing professional football is putting you at a lot of risk. And so that the future research we hope to to really figure out you know what what dose puts you at risk. And that becomes more important because we're seeing more and more uh, of the professional athletes when they pass who play professional football that are saying, yes, I want to give my brain to be able to have it researched, to be able to figure out whether CTE was an, uh, an issue in terms of my career. Obviously, there have been a couple of, uh, of very uh, well-known examples of players who have taken their life uh, because of this. So, I mean, this is all part of the research to try and get at you know where the where the truth really lies and how much of an impact there truly is moving forward. Right, right. I mean, uh, and yeah, I think yeah, and even at the professional level, there's there's a lot to be understood. The, the, these are very. Yeah, I mean, it's, a lot of the examples are people who you know they 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 were very concerned. You know, maybe they and and then they had their brain donated. But but a, a, a study sort of just. Um, Looking prospectively at, at all players ha, has yet to be done, and so, yeah, I think there's a lot more. We wish you research. we wish you guys all the best with the with the research going forward. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Great, great to have you, fan. Dylan Small, uh, Samir Dishpande, and Ryan Hasagawa joining us here in the studio. We'll take for more insight from Knowledge at Wharton. Please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.